Let's turn now to Mark chapter 1 as we see Jesus calling us to make disciples. And we're going to hear his call specifically this morning in the opening verses of Mark 1 to follow me. Jesus is going to make that call to follow me. Uh, Mark's gospel is the quickest of the four gospels, as many of you know. He leaves out a lot of the details of the other gospels. Um, But Mark is telling us a story, a theological story, putting together this collage of events to highlight Jesus as Messiah, as the one we give our life to. And so we're going to spend 13 weeks this summer. We're going to go up through Mark chapter 10 and stop right before Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last week of his life. And um, we're going we're to dive in and, and look and see how uh, Mark, the picture that Mark gives us of Jesus. And, and we want to let Mark speak to us and show us Jesus making disciples and calling us to follow him and calling us to invite others to follow him. So we're going to read the first 20 verses this morning, and uh, let me just briefly ask for the Spirit to help us, and then we'll dive in, and we'll quickly dive in, because I know we've got lunch waiting for us. Father, just bless your word. Bless us as we read, as we hear, as we unpack. Call us into relationship with you, that we could follow Jesus as our master. Teach us now, we pray. Amen. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So again, we hear this call for each of us to be following Christ, as he says to us broadly, but to each of us specifically, follow me, follow me. And I want us to see four brief things in this passage. The first we see in those opening verses is the way that, that the Lord prepared the way for the coming of Christ. It says there in verse 1 that the gospel of Jesus Christ begins like this. The gospel is, is, is the word for good news. The good news is the report about Jesus, the message of Jesus. And Mark begins his gospel identifying who is this good news, who is this Savior. And we see three things. It's Jesus Christ, 
son of God. He's Jesus, a man born in Nazareth, son of Mary, adopted son of Joseph. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. But he's also Christ. Christ is, is the Greek word for the, the Hebrew word Messiah, which means the anointed one. He is the anointed one come from God, and he's son of God. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus Christ is Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, fully human, fully God, the full embodiment, the full divinity of God the Father on earth. And Mark shows us how preparation for the Messiah's coming was prophesied in the book of Isaiah. And we see this verse there, quote from from Isaiah, reminding us that what Jesus did is not starting something new. Jesus is finishing something very, very old. And the Lord says to the prophet Isaiah, behold, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord, the Messiah. And the one who prepares the way is this voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way, make straight his path. And, and with the picture that we see there is like this dignitary showing up, right? In the ancient world, if a king were going to visit a nation, a foreign country, emissaries would go ahead of time and prepare the road, the accommodations, the arrangements. Not all that different than our day. Right? If the President of the United States is going to travel to another country, we're talking about weeks and weeks before he shows up. Officials arrive. They arrange the travel, the housing, the security. They get things ready for the arrival of the king or the president. Right? So surely God's son is not going to show up without preparation. And so this, this man, John, who we call John the Baptist, likely a cousin of Jesus, is there to prepare the way. We read that John's ministry is outside of the mainstream of Judaism, outside of the settled towns and, and cities. He, he wears rough clothes, of not fine, not a finely dressed man. He's wearing camel hair. He's living off the land, eating locusts and honey, whatever he can scrap together. He's outside of the establishment, preparing the hearts of people for the one who would come to reach all men and women. Word gets around about John the Baptist and his preaching ministry. And so people from all over Judea come to hear his message to be baptized at the Jordan River. We read there that he called people to confess their sins and repent and to be washed in the river. This is not Christian baptism, not what we're about to do at the end of this service, but he's preparing the way for the people, calling them to to be aware of their sin, to prepare their hearts to to be cleansed so that they can receive Christ, so that they can receive Christian baptism. And so John proclaims there, look at verse 7, he says, one is coming after me mightier than I. He says, he's so much greater than me, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his shoes. Now again, in the culture, powerful rich people had servants to to meet their needs, servants to, to bend down, to untie their sandals, to wash their feet. And John says, look, the Messiah that's coming is so much greater than me, I'm not even worthy to be his servant and bend down and untie his sandals. He says in verse 8, I'm baptizing you with water, but the one coming after me is baptizing you in the Holy Spirit. To be baptized means to be immersed, to be covered, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To cleanse you fully, not externally, but internally, the Spirit of God baptizing you. And all of this is done is to prepare the way. Yes, culturally, yes, in that time, in that history, but beyond that, spiritually, God prepares the way for His Son who came in history, and for His Son who comes now intimately and personally into our hearts, into our lives. John proclaimed the need to repent. See, to understand that you need a Savior, you have to first understand that you have need, that you're broken, that you have sin you need to turn from. That's what repentance means. It's to turn from your sin and to run towards God. To run towards God. See, John the Baptist knew that his ministry was not about him. It was about the one coming after him. 
And he prepared the way for the, for the culture, for the society, for history, but he also prepared the way for the men and women that came down to the river. Listen, Christian, you and I have a role in that as well. You and I have a role to prepare the hearts, to prepare the people around us to receive Christ, our family, our friends, our neighbors. Part of this work of evangelism, part of this work of making disciples is to prepare the hearts of people. See, only the Holy Spirit can ultimately lead someone to faith in Christ, but we're part of that process, right? Chris can tell you that. Chris has a heart for for those outside of Christ that are wandering, that are lost, that need forgiveness. Chris does leather repair work as a job, and story after story, I've heard Chris say, I went to this business, I went to this home, and the Lord opened up a door. Chris is often repairing leather, and, and he's preparing hearts, right, to receive Christ. And I would imagine he could probably get twice as much done in a day if he wasn't so sensitive to the Holy Spirit and looking to engage with people and talk with people. And sometimes he has one-time conversations. And, and I remember him telling a story about being in inner city Baltimore and repairing the, the, the couch of, a, of, a, of an old grandmother and sitting on the stoop with her and hearing about her children and grandchildren and Chris praying with her, preparing the way for that woman and her family. Chris never saw them again. But who knows who the Lord's going to send next to lead that person to Christ. But I remember another story Chris told me about a car dealership that he goes to weekly or every other week. And he's gotten to know the people that work there. I remember him telling me about this one young guy working there. And, and he had an opportunity to share Christ with him. Six months later, Chris thinking it made no difference. Six months later, the guy has a crisis. The guy has a, has a, 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 a crisis in his life. Chris comes back again to work on the cars in the lot. This guy opens up to Chris. Chris is able to share with him again. Right? You never know as you prepare those hearts, as you lay the groundwork. Part of us preparing hearts is just living our testimony. It's just being men and women of faith to show people what it looks like to be transformed by Christ. A life lived in dedication to Jesus as a follower of Jesus is often a profound statement preparing the way, preparing an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to speak to those people. So we serve to prepare the hearts of the men and women around us as Jesus calls us to be His disciples, as He calls us to make disciples. But look now at at verse 9, at this amazing statement as the Father looks down on His Son and calls Him beloved. See, we read in verse 9 that in the days of, of John's ministry, Jesus came to the river as well. Now, He wasn't baptized because He had sin, but He was baptized as an example for us. Matthew's Gospel says in order to fulfill all righteousness, Jesus too received John's baptism. In verse 10, we see that after He came up out of the water, this amazing, glorious thing happened. Jesus saw the heavens open. And the Spirit of God came down on him. Mark says there in verse, in verse 10, immediately. Mark loves this word over 40 times. He's going to say immediately. Mark is, is, is urgent. He's fast-paced. He's leading us from one event to the next, showing us the life of Jesus. And we hear, we see that immediately the heavens open. It says that the Holy Spirit came in such a visible, tangible manifestation for Jesus. It's described like the beauty, the majesty, the eminence of a dove landing on Jesus. And the voice of God speaks. Heaven opens. We see this beautiful picture of the Trinity, right? The Son on earth, the Spirit descending, the Father in heaven speaking. And he says in verse 11, you are my loved Son. I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. Then something strange happens in verse 12. We say that the Holy Spirit that descended on Jesus compelled Jesus to go from the Jordan River in this mountaintop high, high, to go through one of his lowest lows of his life, to be out in the wilderness for 40 days, to be tempted, to go through trials. The devil met with him, 
tempted Him for those 40 days, and yet we read that the angel stood with Jesus, ministering to Him, sustaining Him. Now, now Jesus' ministry it, it just got publicly launched, right? And His next step is not to go to the biggest city He can find, but to go out into the wilderness. Not what I would have picked for Jesus' journey. But I think it's a statement of this, that the, the journey that Jesus is about to go is not going to be easy. He's going to walk through fire, and He gets a taste of that from the very beginning. The worst that the devil had to throw at him. But Jesus will prove that he's worthy. Prove that he's the Messiah. Prove that he will follow God no matter what. And there's some shadow of what happened in the Old Testament as Israel, God's people, went into the wilderness and ultimately couldn't last in the trial, couldn't last in the temptation. But Jesus comes as true Israel who proves that he can walk through the wilderness for 40 days and remain faithful. Imagine what that was like. I think that during that time of temptation and trial, all alone with the angels ministering to him, I imagine that the words that that Jesus heard were probably ringing loudly in his ear every moment of every day. And And I believe he remembered that my father loves me. My father is well pleased with me. Knowing that he'd been chosen. Knowing that the Spirit was in him. Knowing that God the Father delighted in him. Listen, Not just a Savior, not just the Messiah, but anyone who knows that they are loved, who knows that they have a purpose, who knows that God is with him, can sustain and be faithful in the trial, can fulfill God's purpose. See, that statement, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased, is not just a statement for Jesus, because hear this, Christian, if your faith is in him, that means he is in you and you are in him. We have become united with Christ. What is true for Christ is now true for us. The identity that Jesus had as the beloved son is now our identity as beloved sons of God who have been adopted in love. And that statement that God made to Jesus, I am well pleased with you, listen, he is pleased with you as well. Because see, through faith, His death cancels out your your debt. His resurrection fills you with with new life, fills you with the Holy Spirit, so that now God looks on you, not not as a hopeless, helpless, broken, sinful, fallen creature, but He looks at you as He looks at His Son. And He says to each of us, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, with you I am well pleased. And hearing that, knowing that, we can be faithful. We can follow the Messiah. Many of us struggle. We struggle for validation. We struggle with a sense of identity, a sense of purpose. We, we live our lives striving for favor, favor, seeking approval. We long for meaning. Hear this, you have the validation. You have the approval of God. More love than you could ever know. More blessing than you could ever know. God delights in you. Created you, called you, adopted you, filled you with His Spirit because He delights in you. And you say, but Pastor Tim, I I still wrestle with temptation. I still slip into sin. Pastor Tim, I'm in the midst of a trial. I'm facing a crisis, a hardship, a pain. Jesus heard those words and then went out for 40 days of more crisis and trial than we'll ever know. See, listen, walking through hardship, struggling and being tempted by the enemy doesn't mean that you're not beloved of God. Doesn't mean that He doesn't delight in you. Press through, resting in your identity, resting in His favor. Even as you call, answer the call to go out to friends and neighbors to, to, to speak for Christ, to share Christ, to invite them to follow Jesus. Do that knowing who you are. Knowing that whether they ask follow-up questions, whether they turn from you, whether they mock you, knowing that your identity is set in Him regardless of what we face in the world. We are beloved of God because of the work of Christ. 
Next, in verse 14, we get this, this summary statement of the Gospel and this reminder that Jesus' ministry was about proclaiming the Gospel. Verse 14 says that after John was arrested, Jesus traveled back to His home region of Galilee and began His public ministry. And in 14 and 15, His, his ministry and His message is described as proclaiming the Gospel. Sometimes that's translated as preaching the good news. The Greek word there to proclaim means to be a herald. A herald in the ancient world was somebody who would enter in a town, you know, like in the old-fashioned movies, right? Hear ye, hear ye, standing in the courtyard with the scroll to make an announcement. And if an enemy nation had, had breached the borders in the north, if rains were coming up from the, from the east and the, and, and the rain had, 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 had hit two towns over, the herald would come and say, hey, rain is coming. When a king was born, the herald would give the announcement, right? There was no internet. There was not even newspapers. News was spread through heralds right? You say, well, wait a minute. No matter how many people the herald gathered in the town square, even if it was the busiest day of commerce and he made the announcement publicly to everyone, surely there's people who weren't there, right? Who didn't hear the announcement of the news. You're right. But for those of you that have been to middle school, right? You know that not everybody has to be in the same room to hear the announcement. News travels fast. So the herald would make the announcement, but then what happened? Everybody that heard would then go take that news back to their town, their village, right? The remotest, ruralist farm would hear about the news, right? The invalid who hadn't left his house for years, word would pass, would get to him about the events that had happened. This is what it means for us to be heralds of the gospel. Listen, the message that Christ brought is news for us to share, for us to proclaim, and many of us feel intimidated about this call to make disciples, this call to evangelism, but it simply means to help spread the news. Listen, Christianity is not good advice. Christianity is not just your personal experience, although certainly it is. Christianity is not just helpful tips. It's, it's news. The gospel is for everyone. Listen, the gospel is not just for addicts and losers and loners and people who feel guilty. The Christian message, the hope of the, of the gospel, this news is for everyone. It impacts every man, every woman, every child across the globe. The Christian gospel, the message of Christ is for every people group, every nation, in every big modern city, in every small podunk town, in the western world, across Asia and the Middle East and South America, on every busy street, every remote unpaved road. The gospel is for the rich and the powerful, for the poor and the weak, for those who have a successful, admirable life, and for those who can barely scrape themselves out of bed every morning, need the news of Christ. It's for every member of your family, every co-worker, every classmate, every neighbor in your street. We have good news to share. What is, what is the news? Mark summarizes it in verse 15. He says this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now this is not all that Jesus said and it's not all that we should say, but it's a summary statement. And we see this summary statement in three parts. First of all, there's a promise that's fulfilled. The time is come. The time is fulfilled. Listen, what every human, whether they know it or not, have been longing for, every human heart longs to be made whole, to know God, to cross from death into life, has come. Has come in Christ. See, Jesus' arrival is the fulfillment of God's long-awaited covenant promise. Humanity was created to know God. And we have been waiting ever since Adam and Eve turned from God. Every human has been waiting to be brought back into right relationship with God. And in the coming of Christ, the time has come. The time is fulfilled. 
the promise has arrived. Secondly, we see that this good news is the Savior's arrival. Right? The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said. That to be at hand means it's near, it's close. The, the kingdom is the reign and the rule of our good and loving Creator. And Jesus, who is Son of God, who is King of the kingdom, has come to earth and brought the kingdom of God to earth. Now, now it's at hand, meaning there, there's kind of a nearness to it, but not yet a fullness to it. There's an already not yet component. See, when Christ came, the, the kingdom has already come, and we already see the kingdom going out into our hearts, being established in the church. But it's not yet fully realized because come one day the king will come again. And not only will the kingdom be in our hearts and in the church, but the kingdom will go out and restore every inch of creation. Full restoration. His kingdom fully established one day. And so now the kingdom is here. It's at hand in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. See, the king came and he lived. He walked. He, he was God. He displayed God. He, he walked and he taught what life with God was like. And then He submitted Himself to the cross. And He died on the cross because to come into the kingdom means that you and I have to have a debt forgiven. It means that you and I need to be reconciled back to God. And so He had to die on our behalf. He had to die in our place. But the coming kingdom also is one of victory. And so Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead three days later in victory rising up to new life, that you and I could not only have forgiveness, but now have new life. And this baptism that we're going to celebrate symbolizes that we've died with Christ and we've been raised with Christ. And through your faith, you now receive the kingdom. Through your faith, you now enter the kingdom to have your sins forgiven and your old life crucified and to be raised up to walk with Christ. And then then thirdly, we see that this good news requires a response. Right? It's the fulfillment of the promise. It's an arrival of the kingdom. And, it, and there's a response. Jesus taught and He proclaimed, repent, turn from your sins, believe in the Gospel. Listen, some of you here today are sick and sorry of your sin and your failures and the habits and the, the attributes of your life that you can't get out of. It's not enough to be sick and sorry for your fin- sins. You must also believe. You must also believe in Christ. That's the good news. The good news is that the kingdom has come, that the Savior is here, not to judge you, but to rescue you. And so put faith in Him. Turn from your old life and put faith in Christ as Savior. And then to follow Jesus means we go out and we receive and we respond and we offer this kingdom to others. You and I too become a herald of the good news. Lastly, look with me at this this. This vignette in verse 16. This story of Jesus calling His first disciples. Because for Him to establish His kingdom means He calls people into community to walk with Him, to carry His message, and to build His kingdom on earth. And so in verse 16, we see Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee. He sees these two brothers fishing. This is not their hobby. This is their livelihood. They own a boat. They own nets. This is how they make their living. Now again, as I said, Mark is quick. And so he doesn't give us the backstory. But if we look at at Matthew and and, and John, we realize that Andrew had been a disciple of John the Baptist. And Andrew had been following John the Baptist. He had become convinced that Jesus was the Messiah that John had been proclaiming. Andrew goes and tells Simon, hey, I think I've met the Messiah. Actually, he doesn't say I think. He says, I've met the Messiah. Jesus then meets these two brothers. Andrew introduces his brother Simon to Jesus. And then probably that same day, if we put all the events together, 
Jesus is on the shore teaching a crowd. He uses Simon and Andrew's boat basically as a podium to preach the, the gospel to the crowds. Jesus pushes out into the sea. And some of you remember this story. They have this miraculous catch of fish. Simon falls down before Jesus. And Jesus says to the brothers that day, follow me. They leave everything and they follow him. He then goes a little bit further down the shore, does the same thing to James and John. Also fishermen, companions of Andrew and Simon. And they leave their nets. They leave their livelihood. And they follow Jesus. See, in the culture of the day, young Jewish men would often follow a master, whether they were apprenticing to become a fisherman or a carpenter, or whether they were following a rabbi and learning the teachings of Judaism. Young men would often have somebody to walk with them, to follow, to live their lives with, to imitate, to learn from. And they made Jesus their master. They became His students and disciples. And in so doing, they devoted their lives to Christ, not to fishing for fish, but Jesus says, now you'll become fishers of men. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I like to think that if they had been carpenters, he would have said, come follow me, right? And now your life is going to be about building the lives of men and women. If they had been workers of leather, he would have said, come follow me. Now your life is going to be about patching and repairing the lives of men and women. I think if they had been accountants, he would have said, come follow me. I'm going to teach you how to redo the balance sheets and cancel the debt of men and women. But they're fishermen. And so he says, come follow me, and we're going to learn how to draw in men and women into the kingdom. How to cast your nets to bring others into the kingdom of Christ. See, the orientation, the focus, the purpose of their lives has been transformed. Sad reality is that many people today don't want to follow anyone. Right? You look at a lot of young people, Nothing against young people today because I was the same way when I was 18, 19 years old. Young people look at their whole lives in front of them, but they're often too short-sighted to realize, I need a guide. I need someone to help me get to where I want to be when I'm 30. And young people often think that that they have everything that, that they need, that they have got it all figured out. I don't need a master. I don't need to follow anyone. But, but old folks, you're not off the hook either because oftentimes when you get to age 40 and you think you're established, you think you've got everything you need and every, all the, everything that you want and you're already set, you've got success and you've got things established, I don't need a master, I don't need to follow anybody. Or maybe you find yourself at age 30, 40, 50 and you realize nothing's gone the way that I wanted, I don't have anything that I need, I don't have anything that I can define as success, but I'm too far gone, there's no point in me following a master, there's no point in me following anybody. But listen, regardless of the life phase that you're in, regardless of how you evaluate what's before you or what's behind you, we all need someone to follow. We all need someone to pattern our lives. And this call that Jesus makes, follow me, is a call that each of us need. We each of us need Jesus to devote ourselves to, to show us how to live life, to how to follow God. Who are you following? Who are you following? Who are you looking to? Is it yourself? Is it the world? As I sat and talked with Kyle and Ashley that we're going to baptize in just a few moments. And they're new to the faith and they're learning and they're growing. And and I said, look, I I just need simple answers. As I debriefed with them when we talked about the gospel. And I asked Ashley, what does it mean to be a Christian? And she said, she struggled a little bit. I said, just whatever the first thing is on your mind. And she said to me, to follow Jesus. I said, "That's, that's beautiful. 
That's what it means to be a Christian, is to, to follow Jesus. I remember asking Ashley, I said, what was the first thing for this, this woman who did not know Christ, didn't grow up in the church, I said, what was the first thing that appealed to you, that made you look at Christ to begin to think, maybe he's somebody I should give my life to and follow? And she said, I saw the transformation that was happening in my husband, and I knew there must be something real going on. See, God began to work in the life of Kyle, and, and his transformation began to prepare the heart of Ashley. And now they're both on this journey to follow Jesus. God is at work and He's saying to you now, follow me, follow me and I will make you a fisher of people. And part of that means that like the disciples, you have to leave behind your nets and your boats. Maybe God this morning is calling you to leave something behind. To let go of an old identity, an old vocation, an old calling, an old sense of purpose. What is He calling you to leave behind so that you can walk with Him? So that you can dedicate yourself to following Him, imitating Him, listening to Him, reading His Word, and obeying Him. And to become a fisher of people. See, being a disciple means making disciples. It means becoming a fisherman. And so that means open up your heart, cast your net, and you begin to seek and to pray and to connect and to invite and draw other people into the kingdom. You invite them to meet Jesus. You tell them about the kingdom that's come. The kingdom that is at hand. You tell them about, about what God has done in your life. You invite them to turn from their life to follow the Master and to find true life, eternal life, both here and for eternity. That is, is our call. That's our mission. And as we close out with this beautiful song proclaiming our, our living hope, we're going to pray together and we're going to invite you into worship, into prayer, into dedication. Worship team, that was your, that was your cue to come, to come on up. And so as the worship team comes, we're going to sing this, this song reminding ourselves of our living hope. Reminding ourselves that this is a living hope for us and for those the Lord brings into our lives. To follow the Messiah. To find life. Because the kingdom of God truly is at hand. And we can follow Jesus. And find life. Let's stand together as we close and as we worship. Father in heaven, we do stand together as a people, as a community. With, with all of our questions, all of our doubts, all of our fears, all of our failures. Holy Spirit, come and make us complete. Fill us with faith. Fill us with courage to walk in obedience to You. To give ourselves to the Master. To become Your disciples. And to walk out courageously, step by step, to make disciples. Step by step, to cast out the net of the Gospel. To invite others in. We invite them into this great hope that we have in Christ. The hope of forgiveness. The hope of eternal life. The hope of a Father's love. The hope of a community of saints that now are family. We worship you and we declare together this living hope as we celebrate your work among us. Come Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name.